All right. Welcome, everybody. I hardly need a microphone today. We realized that we were going to get most of our people stolen from Family Promise. They have a Family Promise meeting today that was mandatory that they had to do, and so we knew we were going to be double booked. But, uh, um, but glad that you're here for the first of these three weeks. Um, what we're going to be talking about for these coming three weeks is um, we're going to be learning about how God calls us to speak truth and love with those who we know and love who are struggling with sin. And we're going to be talking specifically about homosexuality. Um, you may be thinking, some of you who have been around for a while, thinking, didn't we just talk about that? Didn't we just have a three-week session on that? That was two years ago that we had our first three, three-week session on how do we handle the topic and the issue of homosexuality. Because, because it was a conversation that was going on all around us Society was having the conversation, media is having the conversation, and the church was silent, and we didn't dare talk about it. So I thought we made, two years ago, a spectacular start to making it something that, that we can talk about. I'm proud of Ivanrest Church for doing that, engaging in a difficult topic that raises anxiety and, and stress and tension. Um, but as we were reflecting on iStudy this year, we realized that you know, that was a great start to the conversation, um, but we got a lot more to learn, and we need to keep growing in that area uh, because the conversation has continued. Um, whether we have chosen to be a part of it or not, the conversation uh, has, has continued and still does continue to move on. Um, so what's happened? I just reflected for a few moments. What's happened in the two years since we first started learning and having this conversation together? Well, the, the conversation continues on the national stage, right? The Supreme Court has now legalized gay marriage. What does that mean for us? How do we have conversation around that? In the past two years, um, it's within that window that it came close by here, the whole diesel tech controversy and the, the conversation there, that, that, you know, that controversy put us on the national map for a while, and maybe in some not-so-healthy ways it it sucked local churches in, not by choice, but there was a whole lot going on in the background of that, that painted churches as black or white. There was no room for conversation, for love in that, in that action. Um, now this is, continues to be an issue by which the candidates are being judged as we're heading towards presidential elections. Churches, um, denominations are taking various stances. In fact, just yesterday's email, uh, the Christian Reformed Church this summer at Synod is going to be receiving a, a study report on how to, how to provide pastoral care to homosexual members. And it came in my email box just yesterday that the report has been released uh, for churches and for people to look at. So it's a topic that conversation continues. It's continued in our local community. Um, since two years ago, uh, we as a church have have been invited to speak with two local Christian schools. How do they care best for students that they know um, are homosexual or some who are struggling and, and they don't know? How do they care for those students? Um, we've been invited to talk to other churches, both Christian Reformed Church and non-Christian Reformed Churches, to just say, how do we talk about this? And so the conversation is growing within uh, religious and Christian circles as well. And... Honestly, behind the scenes more, the conversation has continued here at Ivanrest Church. In the last two years, a number of you have shared with me, have shared with Brant. Brant, that's my son. Brent, you're not my son. Um, have talked with us, you know, following that conversation we had two years ago, you felt free to come and share with us your struggles with somebody that you love. And so we've had more and more conversations with people like you um, who are journeying this path in really personal and often private ways, in painful ways. Um, leadership here at Ivanrest Church keeps it on the agenda. The elders, the pastoral elders have on their agenda. Um, at the bottom of things in the parking lot, things we can't forget about, it's always on there. How are we caring for members who are struggling with this? Um, and in fact, just lately, the council leadership team has put together or is in the process of putting together a sub-team to talk about how do we do that as a church? How do we respond both legally and practically uh, to the Supreme Court's decision? So we're, it's conversation that continues, and I'm proud of us 
for having that. So thank you for being here this morning as we continue to learn how to have those conversations, how to speak truth in love uh, through this journey. And so I just, with that background, I want to remind you or maybe tell you what these next three weeks hold, and then I'm going to hand it off to Brent. Um, today we're going to reset a lot of what we learned two years ago. We're going to be reminded uh, of the foundations of our conversation, of, of where we stand and how we share and how we talk. Um, next week, I think, will be a powerful week. Um, next week, we're going to hear the stories of a number of young people who are college age, um, who grew up in the church as they were struggling with their sexual identity and, and their stories of when they came out as gay and how they experienced the church through that. So you're going to hear some personal stories which are, um, which are challenging. <laughs> you will be challenged um, through that. And then the third week, we're going to have the opportunity to have a conversation together of how we best speak truth in love through that. So I'm looking forward to those three weeks. And just so you know, Brent and I don't come here as people with all the answers. We aren't coming as all the experts, but we're hopefully um, coming as people who are willing to engage the conversation and to help all of us engage the conversation. So I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to hand it off to Brent uh, for the rest of the morning. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love for us, your love for every single person that you created. And we are all broken in some way. We are all sinful and in need of your grace. And um, it's with that truth that we come humbly to this topic because there are, there are people there who need truth spoken to them and they need love spoken to them. Um, and so I ask that you would help us best discern how to have difficult conversations and how to have those conversations while we're grounded in the truth of Scripture. Um, and so I, I pray, Father, that these few moments now together this morning would be really helpful in, in resetting that foundation for us, in, in directing our conversation, that the next two weeks would open our hearts and minds in unique and powerful ways. And I pray specifically, Father, for those of us in this room uh, for whom this topic is extremely um, personal, painful, um, for people who we love dearly, um, who are who are living out uh, a lifestyle that that we can't condone, and it breaks our hearts, Father. And so I pray that you would just season our words and our conversation with grace, um, while we hold on to the truth firmly. Thank you, Father, for the for your willingness to engage with us in good conversation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Brent, it's all yours. You were, if you were here two years ago, like we said, it's been two years since we had this conversation last. Uh, this session may be a little bit of review for you, but that's not a bad thing. It's, we, we need to constantly be keep, keep thinking about how do we, uh, how do we think about this, this topic? How do we think about how, do we, how we engage with it? How do we think about how we engage with each other, how we love and care for each other? So what, what the, the plan is today, um, now if you remember two years ago as well, when we approached this topic two years ago, uh, we were in a different place as a church. One of the reasons that we even started talking about it is because we realized that we as a church didn't have a very good framework at all to talk about it. And so unfortunately out of that, we were getting comments around our church that were, it, were uninformed and then unintentionally hurtful, right? So we would be, we would, person A, who we, who, Tony and I may have known, had somebody they loved and cared about that this was a, is an, is, uh, an issue for, would be next to person B who would have no idea that's the case, and person B would say something flippantly that they had no idea was really painful for person A. And that's one of the things that we said when we started this conversation, that can't happen here. Uh, we have to be a place in which we care for each other, in which we can talk with each other, which we don't intentionally or unintentionally hurt each other. So we began the discussion there, but when we had this discussion two years ago, we actually more just spoke and had you listen and didn't really discuss much for the fear of um, unintentionally hurting each other in the space that we tried to create that not happening. Today's going to be different. Uh, we're going to come uh, through the, go through the same material, same kind of thought that we had, but this now is open for questions, for discussion. Uh, remember that we are the community that's looking to care for each other well. Realize that there are people in this room who have, 
who either are wrestling with it themselves or know or love people that are. And so it, whatever you decide to say, make sure you realize you're saying it in that context. Uh, if you feel okay still saying it, well, then fine. Um, if, you, if, if, that, if that hinders how you talk, good. <laughs> then think about that as we continue to go forward talking. So if you, if you don't have one of these pieces of paper, it would be really helpful for you to get one. Um, Tony's got some over there. Just raise your hand. He'll bring you one. Uh, we're really going to talk about this, this uh, in three segments. It, it parallels relatively well with the, with the official CRC statement, but the whole statement of the CRC is only one page long, except for these committees that have just released a whole bunch of pages, which I actually haven't got to read yet, because it came out on Saturday, right? So uh, I haven't read the whole thing yet. Uh, but we're going to talk about it in three different sections. We're going to begin by talking about uh, sexuality and identity. We're going to follow that up by just talking about the nature of sin in general. And then we're going to follow that up finally with talking about love and intimacy. So you'll remember those categories from the first time that we talked, uh, but I think they fit really well um, to just keep going back there. So where I want to begin is at the top with sexuality and identity. And I think this is one of the, fun, one of the, most, one of the primary things that we need to understand if we're going to have a good discussion, or if we're even going to be able to start thinking positively uh, about how we can approach the entire issue. Uh, one of the things our society has done is, is very tightly linked our fundamental identities and our sexualities together, making them the same thing. And one of the things that we push back on is, is that idea, right? So if you were to listen to uh, anywhere else in the world, to be a gay person it puts these these two, your fundamental identity, your primary identity, and your sexuality into the same boat. Um, what, what, what I think, what I, what I think is pretty clear in the Bible, is that that's not the case. That your fundamental identity, your primary core identity, is the fact that you're created in God's image, that, you're a, that if you believe in Jesus, that you are a loved child of God, and then you are a person who wrestles with sin struggles. Um, the reason it's so important to start to view those things separately is that if we don't, there are natural implications from them that we can't avoid. If my sexual, I, my sexual preference and my identity are linked together, our old adage of love the sinner, hate the sin is impossible, right? Which is a, it's a, that's a used phrase anyway. But, it, but even if you're going to try to follow it, which isn't always bad, uh, it's impossible because if they're the same thing, then what we have then is we have a person, we have one of two ways to go. Either this person is a, is a kind of subhuman, is somehow messed up, different and messed up from the rest of us, right? That brings us down to a different place, and then we have to treat them that way. Until you fix this thing, you're not, you can't be part of us because you're fundamentally different than us. And, we, and as we say it that way, we realize that's a problem, right? That's not something that we want to hold on to, that we, we don't want to call any human to be in a subhuman place. And we can actually see that play itself out all over our society, right? We have churches, we have different organizations who have proclaimed, you people aren't welcome. You can't be part of us until you get rid of whatever this thing is that you have. You're a different kind of person. And so we have that play itself out, and, and we don't want that. That's not a good thing. I think the Bible is pretty clear that that is not the case for anyone. But our other reaction is, similar, is equally troublesome, right? We either go to you're a subhuman level or we're forced to call it a natural variant of humanity, right? That, this, that we all have different attributes about ourselves and this is one of them. And so then, we, then our only option is to say, well, then it's a natural variant and there's nothing wrong with it, which I also think is difficult that it, when it rubs up against what the Bible has to say. Does that make sense? So what we, what, what, where we want to begin this conversation is we want to talk about people who are image bearers of God, who are created in God's image, and who wrestle with sin. Because when we understand that we have this fundamental identity in which we are all identical, we are all the same, we are all on even playing field, and we talk about wrestling with sin, the other thing that does is it allows us to be empathetic. It allows us to understand. It allows us to walk through sin in the same way. I am a person who struggles with sin every day. Very difficult ones. Uh, things that are, that are tough. My guess is, unless some of, somebody in here isn't sinful at all, all of you are too. Right? And we all have different sins of choice. Some of us struggle each day with pride or rage or greed or lust or, I don't know, you name it, go on. Others of us never do, right? So we all are in the same boat if we understand that we're all children of God who all wrestle with sin, right? It makes it no different what sin we decide to choose. The other thing that really helps us here is to answer the age-old question that, we, that you've probably asked, is homosexuality a choice or is it something that you're born with? 
Have you ever heard that before? Right? So, <clears throat> there are two ways to begin to think about it if we start to understand uh, our fundamental identity in this way. Uh, each of us, because of the way that God has made us, are predisposed to a particular sin or a particular set of sins or a hundred sins, whatever it may be, right? Not, probably not just one. There are some people here who from the day that you were born have struggled with your pride. It's just your thing. There are other people here who have never had a proud day in their life, right? There are some people here who have struggled with lust since they hit puberty. There are other people who have never struggled with lust. There are people who struggle with rage or greed or what you name it. They're predisposed to that particular sin. Because of the good, thing, the good way that God made you, you're, you're particularly vulnerable for, to, for a set of sins. Does that make sense? And I think then in that case, we have the same thing here, that there are certain people who have a predisposition towards this particular thing, in the same way that we all have a predisposition towards one particular sin or another. Make sense? Now, what makes this thing really tricky, and this is something that I've been uh, wrestling with a little bit, well, a little bit um, over the course of the last two years as well, is that there's another category here as well. Um, I'm sorry, let me finish up my first thought. So if we have a predisposition towards sin, uh, then are you born with it, sort of, uh, but then it's your choice whether to act it out or not, right? So if I have a predisposition towards lust or rage, it's my choice whether I just let that be who I am or if I work on doing it better, right, or differently. So, so then we have, we have both of those same things. Another thing that makes this tricky, though, and I think that we have to realize there's another category here as well, is that we, we, have, we all have a predisposition towards one particular sin or another, but also the, the situations in our lives sometimes lead us towards another predisposition to a kind of sin, right? People who are abused growing up, right, um, all, have struggles with a lot of different sins that they might have not had if they hadn't been abused, right? Now, that we, what, where, where the danger is, is that we either put it on one side or other to say that all people are born with this particular predisposition or no people are born with this predis particular predisposition. What we have to have is that it could be either. So there, there are some people who are born with a predisposition. There are another that it's kind of forced upon them, and you approach it differently. Does that make sense? I said that poorly, but I hope we're on the same page, right? Sometimes... Sin breeds sin. If I get, if I'm beat up every day of my life until I'm 10 years old, that's going to cause a set of problems that wouldn't be there if I wasn't getting beat up, right? One of those problems may be, a, so for instance, there, there may be a woman who was sexually assaulted. Uh, it's possible then that men are repulsive to her, okay? And then we open up this whole other can of worms, right? That can happen. That's a thing. I've met people on both sides of that. Some people say, when I hit puberty at seven years, or seven years old, wow, that's early, at, uh, <laughs> whew, anyway, 12 to 13 to 14 years old, as soon as I hit that, I knew. And it was there from the minute I hit puberty. And I even had other kind of concepts of it before that time. I've met people like that. I know people like that, um, that it's always been there for them. There are other people that tell me their story, and it happens and usually it comes out after some kind of major emotional trauma. Uh, I think we have to realize that both of those things exist, and both of them are approached a little bit differently. Um, if we're going to talk on this side, um, we, we, I, never mind, we'll go into the practicalities of that a different time. But, so, when we're, the, the beginning of our conversation here is, is what we've just talked about. Our fundamental identity and our sexuality are different things. Now, society as a whole does not say that. They, it says that they're together, and, that's, and they would disagree with that premise. Actually, I run that one by a few people I really care about, and they, they disagree with it. Um, though uh, Wesley Hill, who is a prominent um, gay, gay Christian writer, would, would uh, resonate with that, though the broader community may not. Um, we also need to realize that all people are image bearers of God who also struggle with sin. Uh, and when we, when we begin that understanding, we can go on and, be, and continue the conversation. Now, are there any questions about that first part, about the fundamental identity and our sexuality being different things? Now, they're closely related, and gender adds a whole nother nuance to this that we're not talking about. So when we talk about our fundamental identity and gender, uh, so when we talk about, so usually you lump L, G, B, and T together, uh, T, the T part of that, the transgender part of that, is a different, more nuanced discussion that we're actually not going to have this morning. So if that's something that you're kind of wondering, how does that fit into all of this? Even the gay community themselves will recognize the T as being a little bit different. Um, L, G, and B are all related to sexuality, and your sexual preferences or urges or whatever you want to call it. Uh, transgender is 
with your gender, and it's different. Those are different things. Um, we're not going to talk about that this morning, partially because I don't think I'm equipped to do that. I don't have a good, uh, I don't know any transgender people, and I don't have a good framework for that discussion. So uh, it's a discussion we ought to have, um, but I, we've all got to grow a little bit more before we can, I think, in this kind of a setting. So do we have any questions about sexuality or identity before we move on to the next part? Hopefully that means I was really clear and not really poor so that nobody knows what I'm talking about. All right, um, if you have questions that are kind of rolling, maybe write them down and we can come back to them towards the end. So if we understand that our fundamental identity and our sexuality are separate things, though they're closely related to each other, they're separate, that we're primarily children of God and that we wrestle with sin, the next question that we have to ask is, what is sin? Uh, this is a huge question that we have to ask ourselves because when we, uh, if we don't understand what sin is, then we can get this particular conversation really, really messed up. So, well, first thing that we have to understand, and this is not just applicable to homosexuality, this is applicable to all sin, so it's important to realize whenever we're having a conversation about sin. But the first thing that we have to realize is that there's a, there's a kind of sin that damns us, right? If you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, uh, our tradition, I believe, all of these things, are that then hell is an option on the table, right? If you, do, if you don't have Jesus Christ, there's damnation outside of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Orthodox Christian teaching is what I believe myself. It's what our church believes. Right? That, uh, so there, there's a set of people out there that have not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that means whether, whatever their sin of choice is, there's a, that's a damnation, damnable sin. Right? Does that make sense? We're all on the same page there? Pretty Orthodox. There's, maybe there's some discussion there. Maybe there's not. Uh, it's important to understand that when we're talking about that kind of sin, that that's a real thing, that there are a, group, a large group of people out in the world that don't believe in Jesus, and then there's that. Um, why that matters is that if we're going to be talking to a group of believers that doesn't have Christ yet, we have to make sure that, that what we're talking about is not a set of moral issues, but the fact that they don't know Christ, right? I pre actually did a sermon on this a little while ago, if you remember it. Um, the, I, the word is justification, right? We, if, we're, if we're talking to people who don't have Jesus, we talk to them about justification or we share the witness of the gospel. Uh, what we've messed up a lot in the church is that when we approach people who haven't accepted Christ yet, we demand that they follow our moral code. Well, if you think about that, that's out of order, right? If I don't believe that Jesus is even a thing that matters to me, why in the heck do I care about how he says to live? Right? It, it's pretty... It's, seems pretty logical, right? So we, if we as a church say, before you're welcome to be a part of us, you better get these things in order, why in the world wouldn't society tell us to take a hike? Which in a lot of cases they've done, right? If, if we're talking to somebody who doesn't have Jesus as part of their life, our message should not be fix a bunch of stuff. It should be like, it should be let me tell you about Jesus because he's done some great things in my life and I'd love for you to know him. It doesn't matter what our sin struggle is here because all we're approaching at this particular point is the fact that somebody doesn't have Jesus and we want them to know them. Does that make sense? So when we talk about this in the context of homosexuality, if you're talking with someone who has not yet accepted Christ as your Savior, maybe don't even talk about homosexuality because it's not really relevant uh, in this particular conversation at this point, right? Okay. Now... Things shift a bit. If you look at what the way that Jesus talks to non-believers in the Bible, he talks to them one way. The story of Zacchaeus is perfect. Right? Zacchaeus is a bad guy. He's been ripping people off all day, all year, all his whole life. Uh, and Jesus doesn't come to Zacchaeus and say, hey, I'm going to come back in a week and fix these five things, and when you do, maybe we'll go have lunch. Right? Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus while he's still in his sin and says, hey, let's go grab dinner. And why don't you invite your other sinner friends with, and we'll all go have dinner together. And in the meeting with Jesus and Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus' life is completely changed. Okay? When we're talking to people outside of the church, that's our model. Hey, let's go have some dinner. Let me introduce you to Jesus and we'll see what happens. Okay? Now, on the other hand, Jesus talks to people who are inside of the church, the religious leaders. He talks to them very differently. And there's a reason for that. Now, so if, we believe, if we're talking about justification, the sin before Jesus Christ is something that damns us, we know that when we have Jesus, we're washed white as snow. The, the playing field is even, is leveled, right? All have fallen short of the glory of God, yet through the power of Jesus Christ, we're more than conquerors. It's Romans 1 through 9, right? That without Jesus, we're all nothing. With Jesus, we're all everything uh, through him, right? So once we've gotten to that point, once we realize that we've been justified, that we've all, the playing field is leveled, 
uh, then we have to talk about sin a little bit differently. Now, the problem is, and this is what we talked about in that, the sermon a while back too, the problem is when we're talking to non-believers, we tend to focus on sanctification, the idea that you have to get right first. And we screw it up the entirely opposite way when we talk to believers, right? As soon as we start talking to believers about moral things that, would, that can help them along in their lives, we start to question their Christianity. We start to question how good or bad of a Christian they are. We realize when we do that, we're screwing it up in the other way. We're talking about justification there. We know that we've all fallen short and we're all made right through Jesus, right? Which means we shouldn't be questioning people's Christianity who have accepted Jesus. When we talk about sanctification, we have to talk about it in a different way, okay? It's pretty clear in the Bible that sin after Jesus is something that pulls us away from the fullest life possible, not something that damns us anymore. And that's an incredibly important distinction whenever we engage in any conversation about sin in general. So the reason that I go and I talk to somebody about any particular sin struggle is not because I'm worried about them going to hell if they've accepted Jesus. It's because I think there's a better way. If Tony was wrestling with rage, and I'll just pick on him because he's in the back, and so he's raging out at his whole family all the time, and he's throwing things, and he's slamming things, and he's smashing things. I don't go to Tony and I say, Tony, you're going to go to hell, because then Tony tells me to take a hike, right? Because I know that Tony believes. I go to Tony because I say, Tony, I think the ra- your rage is hurting you, and it's hurting your family, and it's hurting those around you, and I think God offers you a better way. That's why I go to Tony, right? If If any of us are struggling with sin after we've been saved, the reason that we talk about sin is because we we love people and desire for them to live a fuller life. And that's really important when we talk about this issue because as the church, we have screwed this up very, very badly. We've declared to a set of people that your particular sin is something that damns you when really all we ought to be talking about is presenting a better way, a fuller way, a way in which we can live a fuller kind of life. Does that make sense? Do we have any questions on that? Okay. If you do have any questions on that, make sure we ask. I think this is such an, a huge part of our whole Christian life in general as we talk about sin. Because if, you, if you've been around and you've accused people of not being good Christians, you know that doesn't go well. But when you, when you approach people and say, because I care and love you, because I care and love you, Tony, your rage is a problem. That's not real, by the way. But that's why I would go to him, right? I wouldn't go to him to cast down damnation. I would go to him because I actually care and I actually believe there's a better way. And that's applicable to all sins in all circumstances after salvation. Without questions, I'm going to get done early and we're going to be in a bad spot here. So maybe we'll have some more at the end. All right, so practically, we get to one more spot. And this practical stuff is a big part of the discussion too. And now, realize here, uh, there, we could talk about all of the practical implications here for a really, really, really long time. Partially uh, because the church doesn't have a lot of good answers to offer. Um, One of the things that I'm going to do here in this last part is just try to identify one area in which we're not caring well. Um, That may even spur in your own minds a whole bunch of other areas that we're not caring well too. You're probably right about those as well. Um, As a a church as a whole, not here at Ivanrest, but in the greater, especially West Michigan area, we've spent a lot of time just ignoring this uh, and letting the world speak into it, which is not only given bad information, but it's also helped us lose our voice almost entirely. And so when we're trying to offer up good solutions to things, we're having this, right now even, the conversation we're having now has been informed without many gay people here, if any. Right? So our conversation, I mean, imagine if you were going to have a conversation about alcoholism or rage and you don't invite an alcoholic to come tell you what it's like. Okay, well, that's kind of where we're at right now, and that's not good. So we've got a lot of growth to do yet Uh, before we get there. But this is one area that I think will help us think a little bit more about how we can approach uh, pastoral care, how we can approach uh, just even that loving approach. Um, So we talked at the beginning about how sexuality and identity in our society have become inappropriately linked. Our fundamental identity and our sexuality have become inappropriately linked. Well, there are two other things that in our society that have become inappropriately linked. Uh, One is is, is love, right? Now, I I truly believe that the Bible is very clear that love is a fundamental human need. 
Now realize I didn't say want or desire, I said need. It's something that if we don't have, we don't survive without. I equate it to food, right? If you don't eat, you will die. If you are not loved, you will die. Um, if you have no love in your life, you will start to die, and that's, that's, that's just the reality of things. In the Bible, it's pretty clear that love is a fundamental human need. Now, in our society, uh, we have, we have uh, inappropriately linked the word love and the word sex together, right? If I were to say right now, I'm going to make love, what am I saying? Pretty clear that I'm, you would all understand that I would be inferring that I'm going to have sex, right? In our society, that's how those things have... Now, granted, sex and love should be together. Of course they should. They do ride right next to each other. When there is sex, there ought to be love, but that doesn't always have to be the case. Um, we know, unfortunately, because of the society. Uh, but, the, but we don't want to go the other way with that. Where there's love, there does not always have to be sex. Right? There, there are lots of instances in the world in which we can be loving and caring, and we can have no sexual connotation to it at all. Um, in the Bible, there are absolutely no restrictions on love at all. Love your enemy, love those who hate you, love those who persecute you, love those who do wrong, love those who do evil. Love everyone all the time. That's what we ought to be. Now, we can talk about what, how the practical implications of that are, but there are no restrictions on love in the Bible. We ought to love everyone in all places. Now, there are a whole bunch of restrictions, however, on sex, right? How we ought to engage in that process. When we inappropriately link them together, we, we open up a whole big set of problems. Uh, as I've engaged with many people within, and, and I guess gay community is kind of even a thing that's not politically correct, but I think that's the best way for us to understand it. So I'm using that, but I also want to realize that that's that one of those terms that's tricky. But as I engage with many people who ad identify as gay, one of the number one things that will come up is they'll say, don't we all deserve love? Um, and unfortunately, in, many, in some places, the church's response has been no. If it looks like that, no. It looks like this, no. No, you don't deserve that. Right? Figure out a way to do that differently. Now, the problem is that that's twofold. One is that part of what they're saying is, don't I deserve love, which includes sex, because those things are inappropriately linked together. Uh, and the other hand is that the church is looking at it and saying, no, you don't deserve love if it has sex attached to it, right? Both of those responses are, are, are harmful. That make, hopefully that makes sense. Every person not only deserves love, they need it. And in our society, the, we've created a place that you, your primary love giver until you're 18 or so is your, are your parents, and that's what it ought to be, right? They provide you with your love needs being met. They ask, how was your day? What are you going through? What are you wrestling with? Get to know you on that kind of level. Your primary love needs are met by your parents until you leave the house. After that, it's ambiguous where we get love from, right? Maybe if you're on a sports team, you can experience some love from the camaraderie that happens there. If you're not, um, the only defined place that we have left in our society to give love is where? Marriage. I don't know who said it, but you're right. Yes. In our marriage relationships, right? That, my guess is if you're married here today, your 95% your of your love needs will be met by your spouse if you're in a healthy relationship. Maybe a little less, maybe 90%. Maybe you still have parents around that can do some of that. But it is right for parent, right, parental love I guess, requirements to get less and less as your kids get older. That's kind of how it goes. And so then, so then what we're left with is a spouse. Now, uh, now up until recently, we had a community uh, that was not allowed to get married. And we're not talking about gay marriage right now. We can in a little bit. And so the point is not whether gay marriage is good or bad. The point is that we had people who couldn't get their love needs met. There was no place for it. Right? Because love and sex were united, and so, if, and so as a church we said, well, there's, there's just no way. That's, we can see that that's a problem, right? That if, if love is a fundamental human need and, we're, and we're, we haven't provided a place or a space for those love needs to get met well, uh, we're going to have people who are starving. Now, I would make the argument that many of our people in society as a whole are starving for love, uh, but it's particularly poignant in this set of the population. I think that all of us aren't getting our love needs met very well. Um, and so if you imagine that we're all kind of hungry and then we remove even a little bit more, that's a hard thing, right? Now before we talk about the, the even the little bit further in, um, implications of that, there's another thing that I also think the Bible is pretty clear is a fundamental human need. And actually science supports this as well. And that's intimacy. And what I mean by intimacy is I mean human to human physical contact, right? To be touched. 
Uh, if, uh, if, you, if a baby is born and you give them all of the things they need physically to live, you give them warm shelter, you give them a, um, a bed to lay in, you give them food, but you don't hold them, what happens? Failure to thrive, right? If, they, if a baby does not receive human touch, it fails to thrive. Well, that's something, right? In, uh, so we, we talked about love being a foundational human need, but so is intimacy. We are not meant to be alone. We are built by God to require human touch, human interaction in that way. Now, in the same way that our love needs in our society are only met by our spouse, our intimacy needs may even be more exclusive to our spouse, right? Um, now, that, and, and realize, historically, that was not always the case. In the, Bible, it's, in the Bible, it says to greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, Paul, if you came in today and I smacked one on you, how would that go over? That poorly, right? So, <laughs> right? But we, in our society, we've become more and more distant from each other when it comes to intimacy. And sometimes for some good reasons, because we have people that have manipulated that and worked that to do some terrible things on the other side of that coin. And of course, I'm not advocating for that at all. Um, but, we, but in our society, we, we, have not, we don't have a space in which we can meet each, other in, meet each other's intimacy needs well. The extent of most human contact is an arm-length handshake, right? And if you're in high school now, even if you're going to give a hug, you're going to do a bro hug, and your arm's going to be in between to get a little bit of separation, right? We don't want to touch chest. That would be a little too intimate. Uh, we created a space in our society in which we don't get intimacy needs met. Now, again, your primarily, primary intimacy need giver is your parents until you leave the house. They're the ones that hug you and hold you and kiss you and all this other stuff. After that, there's really not a space for us to get our intimacy needs met outside of marriage. Agree with that? So, what does that mean for us then? If love, oh, and by the way, I'm sorry, I said this about love too and it was implied here. Uh, in our society, the other thing that we've done is we've, in, in the same way that we've in, inappropriately tied love to sex, we've also inappropriately tied intimacy to sex. If I were to say the same way I said make love, if I said I'm going to go be intimate, you would make the same assumption you made about going to make love, right? Those things that, that inter, we have inappropriately tied intimacy and sex to be the same thing as well. Uh, that one might even be more tightly tied inappropriately as well. Um, human touch has been in... in the Western America has become almost entirely sexualized, right? To even if I were to say, and I, if I were going to say I, I touched my children this morning, that probably makes you uncomfortable, right? And, it, and it, because that's phrasing, we can't even use that, right? Now, I meant I hugged my kids, I gave them big hugs, right? But we can't even say words like that because it's too freaky for us, right? We, we have over-sexualized intimacy in such a horrible way that I think that our entire society is massively starving for intimacy. And, and part of the re- it's, it, this, this carries over into a porn conversation that we try to get intimacy through that way and find ourselves even more starving. Anyway, there are wide implications of that that are tied to intimacy and, and sexuality is really harmful, and, a Kessel, and especially in this case. So if love and intimacy are human needs and we've created no space for them to get filled, the analogy that I've always used uh, is this one. And you probably have heard it if you've been around me a while. If you haven't, well, you get it for the first time. Imagine, if you will, that uh, your sin of choice or your sin of predisposition is gluttony, overeating, right? That you, that you crave food and you have a hard time controlling that. Now imagine that you live in an apartment above a donut shop, okay? So that's where you live. And uh, uh, because you live in that apartment, everything in the donut shop below is free, Right? which is great, right? You had all these donuts are free and they're fresh every morning. Um, and on the way to work, you got to walk right straight to the donut shop. Now, before you leave for work, you don't ha- all you get to eat is a little bit of, a little, few crumbs and some water, enough to make sure you don't actually physically die, but so that you're starving. Now, you have to walk through this donut shop every day and the church has told you, but it's morally wrong for you to touch one of them. How's that going to work? Some of you that aren't even struggling with gluttony say, I would take a donut. That sounds great, right? But remember, your predisposition is towards gluttony already. And every single day, you've got to walk through this donut shop while you're starving. The smells coming into your mind, all of this stuff. Honestly, you might be able to resist for a day. You might be able to resist for a couple days or a week or a year if you want to kind of hurt yourself through it. Eventually, you're going to say, forget it. 
this is impossible. I'm grabbing a donut. And church, I don't, you, you, you've asked me to do something that's entirely and completely impossible. Right? I think we could all agree, we can all relate to that a little bit, understand that might be how it goes. Now, on the other hand, let's imagine that you're still living in that apartment, you still have all the same things that we had before, but before you leave for work every day, you get a fully nutritious meal. You're full, right? You're, you're filled up with what your body needs to function properly. Human needs are met. And now you have to walk through that donut shop. Let's not deceive ourselves and think that the temptation's not still going to remain, right? Of course it will. Your, your predisposition is towards gluttony. Predis- I mean, I've had very full meals before, and when that donut's sitting there, I'm still like, you know what? I bet you I can fit it on top, right? <laughs> right? That's, let's not deceive ourselves. Temptation will still remain, but it would be a heck of a lot easier to resist, right? What we've created is a space in our society in which we have star- people who are absolutely starving for love and intimacy, and we've told them as a church, tough. Too bad. If it, if, it, if it brushes up against sex, we're not even going to talk about it. That's not sustainable. There's no, it's, not, it's not surprising that the majority of people in the gay community have told the church to take a hike. I would tell the church to take a hike, honestly, if we weren't going to offer any help or supportive care or how do we even begin to work through that. We have to figure out ways, and I'm not sure what those are, figure out ways to, to fill people up, whether this is your particular struggle or not, people's love and intimacy needs met. And we're going to have to get creative about that because I'm not sure exactly what that looks like because our, because our language and even our understanding is so skewed that we're going to have to start to unravel that first and then put it back together in the way that it ought to be. Just to throw out one possible scenario, and this will make some of you uncomfortable, but that's okay. Uh, there's a prominent gay Christian who, uh, who, would, who would affirm all the things that we've talked about this morning, uh, including the love and intimacy stuff. The way that he has worked on doing what we've just talked about is he actually lives as the third person in a three-person family. Okay, So there are a married couple, man and a woman together, and he is the third person in that family. Not a roommate. Very clear that we're not talking about someone who just lives in the same space. He is the third person in their family. Okay? So they treat him like the third person of their family. Now, the, the married couple, legal married couple, uh, they do all the things that a regular legal married couple would do, but they also take him not to that. There are certain parts that he stays out of, of course, but then there are other bits that they include him in. So, for instance, when he gets home from work, they meet his love needs. How was your day? What are you going through? What are you wrestling with? How are you, how are you feeling? How are you doing? All of those things that we do to meet each other's love needs. They do that for them, both of them do. And they also meet his intimacy needs. Both the man and the woman in the relationship will at times just hold him, right? They rub his back. They give him that human contact and touch that he doesn't get anywhere else. And he'll tell you the same in, in, his, in his book in the way that he, or, or I think it was a blog, I can't remember where he, he told that, um, that that has helped him meet his needs. Uh, and now temptation is still there, of course. But it's, but it's a life that can be sustained a life that can be full, that can be complete, that can be um, a wonderful life, uh, and, uh, and that's an important thing to realize. So, we've got about 10 minutes left. Um, are there any questions, any thoughts? You can tell me to take a hike if that's what you, what you thought at the end of it, too. Uh, but I think that's really important that we can begin with that framework. Um, next week, sorry, I just asked for questions and then I'm still talking, but I have to one more time. Next week we're gonna we're gonna see these stories that Tony told you about, and some of them, um, some of them are actually, some of, now theologically even, and I'll give this caveat again next week. Some theologically, some of these these students um, might brush up against what you believe. Uh, the point is not to have a theological discussion about what we'll see. Uh, the, the The point is um, to hear their stories and how they're feeling about it. Okay, um, and some of that, you'll, some of this stuff that we're talking about will come out, and I want you to think about it through those lenses. That we have got people who are hurting and starving and need these kind of things met. Uh, and we'll have a great discussion in week three. So if that's our, our three primary points to kind of give us a framework to begin the discussion, I realize there's a massive amount of stuff we can still talk about. How do we practically work this out? Um, there are just simple questions like, how do we theologically work this out? Um, but I'm just wondering if we can engage with this a little bit and if we have any questions or comments or thoughts on this framework. Yeah.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic question. And I think uh, one of the ways that, that we can help engage in that conversation, uh, one is we have to remember that we're talking about sanctification, not justification, right? Because one of the things we've done in, in people who are, who, who are in the exact same scenario have said you're not welcome here because of that. We can't do that, right? Folks, I'm, honestly, I know this might be scary to some of you. Um, it, would, it wouldn't be the end of the world to have practicing gay people here at this church, right? Because, we, because they need and care for people. That doesn't mean that we can't tell them that we think there's a better way, but realize what we're talking about, not justification, sanctification. We're saying we think there's a fuller way to be. And now, honestly, all of you here are living sinful lives, right? Okay. I'm going to proclaim to all of you the same as I would to them. There's a, there's a better way. There's a fuller way. And yet you're still here. Okay? It's the same scenario. Some of you even maybe knowingly or unknowingly doing those things. Right? So one of the other key things to realize here is sometimes they'll say, well, they're engaging in knowing sin. Right? I'm not sure we want to jump to that conclusion. Okay? So I, I'll, I'll be vulnerable here a little bit. Um, one of my predispositions is pride. I've, it's been since I've been... One years old, I bet. My dad would tell you that, <laughs> right? It's something that I've always, always struggled with. Now, when I was in college, I was a real jerk sometimes, okay? I thought I knew everything. I thought I was incredibly awesome. Uh, and uh, and my, uh, my buddies would tell me, Brent, you are really proud. And sometimes that makes you a giant jerk. And I would have told them they're all full of it. I'm not proud. I'm just always right. <laughs> what I would have said then, right? Um, so sometimes the, what, what we declare as being knowing sin would, is not the case. We, just, we don't see it the same way. And so it engages in a conversation. Now over time, and my wife helped me with this a lot too, I realized that it actually was a problem, a sin for me, looking back, going that was something that kept me from the fullest life possible. So back to the question, how do we engage with that? One thing that we have to realize is that in that relationship, even though it crosses into a sexual place, which is the, the sex part is only the only part that we're really talking about is sin, right? I think it would, it's good for us to recognize that there is some good left there and actually maybe even a significant amount of it, okay? So I have somebody that I really care about who's been in a, a homosexual relationship for a very long time. And I can honestly tell you that, that that partnership actually love each other and they meet each other's love needs in a, and I'll even call it a holy way, okay? Now, yes, there are some parts of it that aren't, okay? But the, the love needs being met is a good thing, and they meet each other's intimacy needs in a good and holy way sometimes too. Now, because it brushes up against this other part, uh, there are conversations that we've had about that. Uh, but the two, of them are, they, the two of them do actually meet real needs, and I think that's where we begin to have the conversation, right? How do I recognize and affirm that there actually is some good here? Because uh, if we reject the good along with the bad, we're still rejecting good, right? So how do I recognize there actually is some good here? And then how do we have a conversation about what actually is the problem, right? Or the thing that we think that there's a fuller way to. Um, so Tony shared a little bit. Uh, we, Tony, Justin, and I, for the last almost year, uh, have been running a care group over at Kelvin Christian uh, for three students who are out as gay. Uh, we've told, I've basically, not all like this, but I've basically told them everything I told you this morning. Right? Everything that I've shared with you this morning, including my understanding of sin and that being part of it. Um, but because we realize how mu- I've been able to affirm some of these things for them, that they need love and intimacy and how to find those things, we can live in that space. And it's actually not a very confrontational space for the most part. Because we realize that we camp in this big truth and then we have this little bit that we disagree about. So sometimes we'll step into that and we'll discuss it, but then we always step back and camp in our big truth. So, in your scenario, my, my, my recommendation would be try to find as much truth as you can, as much as you can affirm, because I truly believe that the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit testifies to the things that aren't true. And in my experience, even in the most locked-in idealistic understandings of things, uh, when you get close to sin, it gets confusing. And I think a person has to, will wrestle with that no matter what. And I think that's all our, all, our, all our job is, is to have that discussion when it comes up. So do you really think this is the fullest life possible? They may say yes for a while, but there's that peace inside of them that testifies to where it might not be. Yeah.
Yeah. Right. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Great. <laughs> I tomorrow. Uh tomorrow. No. Uh I think you. I think you. I think that's a. I think that's a great point. Um, the way that Tony and I have been talking about it. So we went from. Um, we, when, if we're going to look at our our growth as a church on a spectrum, and I think actually I want to commend you all. There are a lot of very positive things that have happened here, and re- especially in regards to this. Um, I think we went from slightly hostile, two years ago, and I mean slightly. We have never been as bad as some other places. I mean I'm talking generalities, of course, too. I think we've gone from slightly hostile to neutral. Okay, we're now we're not we're not hostile anymore, uh, but we're neutral, right? And and we and we want to, which leaves us in a place where we'd love to say, we'd love for everybody to come, and then but when it really gets down to it and we get to the nitty gritty, I think you're exactly right. We'd still be uncomfortable. So what we I, I think that's just the reality of where we are right now, and I don't and I'm, that's not to be a condemnation condem- condemning thing. It's just we have to be honest, right? Um, uh, the goal of bringing it back up again is that exact question. How do we now move from neutral to slightly, I don't even know the right word, um, accepting, I don't, that's not the right word, loving, I, sure, okay, how do we do that? Uh, how, do, how do we get proactive? Maybe that's the best word. So instead of being neutral now, we'll just kind of wait and see, how do we actually create a space intentionally where that isn't a problem anymore? Um, and, I, and it's not going to be easy, it's not, yes. Profoundly said. But think of God's mercies for you. And I think that it, it, whenever we talk about sin and how we offer mercy, our focus is always on Jesus. Look at what Jesus did for you, and then you give that to everybody else. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there we are. I think you're right. We, uh, how do we, and I think we have that the whole point of having this conversation again is how do we get to a place in which we can start to be proactive and we can start to intentionally create a space in which no matter what your struggle is, you're welcome here and we're going we're to meet you where that is. We're not going to dilute the gospel. We're not going to change what we think God has led you to, but we want to declare in the appropriate way. We think there's a better way to do things and we think the Bible says it's this way and we want to walk with you in that. We're not going to demand you change right away because we have to work through how, what that belief even looks like and the nuances of how difficult it is. But through the whole process, we're going to care and love you through it the best we can. I don't know when we're going to get there. But I would love to be there now. I think that would be a great thing. Um, I think we have to recognize, though, that we, that we have to shed 25 years of bad information, bad understanding, even ingrained things we don't even realize are there. Uh, and that takes time. Um, uh, I think there are segments of our church population that would be incredibly welcoming to someone like that um, or some, a group of people like that. I think there are segments that, are, that we, have work, we have work to do, and that's okay. Um, we're going to try to keep working in that direction. Is that good enough? No, we should be further. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, any other thoughts? we got a couple more minutes left. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good point, too. Okay. Yeah. That, that's the hardest rub of the conversation because I actually would say yes, um, that they don't get that. Now, we've got to realize um, a couple things, that our, our example of the best human life possible is Jesus who was single. So we have that. So it's possible to live the fullest life possible while still single. Um, 
I know that it rubs. I know that, that, that it's hard to say that. And I think it makes it incredibly more difficult to say that um, when, we, when we're starving for love and intimacy. So, because that's part of where this, this inappropriate linking has been the most felt. Because uh, we say that you don't get to experience sex. And part of what we're saying with that is that you have to keep starving for love and intimacy. And we have to realize that that's part of what we're saying. Because that helps us in the conversation. On the other point that you make, uh, I actually asked the students across the street what their most frustrating thing about the church in general was. And their answer was, you're all obsessed with sex. <laughs> and I stopped to think about that a little bit. And I'm like, you're right, right? So, Because somebody asked me last time I spoke on this topic, why does this one make us so exceptionally uncomfortable? And I threw it back out to them. I said, you know why? Because you're thinking about people having sex. I'm sorry that that's a little crass. But honestly, if you thought about anybody else in the church having sex, you'd feel equally uncomfortable, right? Whether it's gay or straight, it's just we don't do that. We don't sit, walk around and think about the couples in our church and what they do. And if we were, we would also be uncomfortable, right? So there's a reason that we get uncomfortable with that, and it's because we are hyper-focused on the sex piece and, and even thinking about what that might look like. Let's not do that anymore. That's not, that's not important. That's not even important not something that we need to do. We can have conversations about sex without getting graphic or thinking about what actually goes on. We do that in heterosexual relationships and in gay ones. So anyway, there's my closing shot on that part. Um, yeah, one last thing in the night. We have to break and we can talk more. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Right. But, right. And I, and, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. 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 And that's, and that, sure. I think, it, I think it's like all sin, though. And um, in Romans 1, which is our big homosexuality passage, right? Uh, if you read all the way down to the end, the list of sins that includes homosexuality also includes disobeying your parents. Um, right? Just read it all the way down to the end. And so we have to realize that they're in the same category, right? That sin is sin. Sin is something that pulls you away from the life that God intended and brings you towards something that he didn't, which hurts you, right? And, and the longer that you stay in it, the more you go down it, the more it will hurt. And that's the case no matter what you pick. Um, and, and, that, and so my closing shot, and, I would, and if you want to keep talking, I will stay here and I'll be happy to keep talking as long as we need to. But I have to get break because we have to go to church and some people have to get kids. But my closing shot is always this, that as the church, we need to realize the complexity of the situation we find ourselves in. It's not easy, but we have to work. We have to realize that we are working to relate with people, not ideas, not concepts, not policies. Um, if, we don't, if we ever remove the humanity from this conversation, it gets really messy really fast, and it's not okay. We're talking about people who are wrestling with sin in the same way that we are all wrestling with a whole bunch of different things, and we always have to stay focused on the fact that these are people. And I know that sounds, to me it sounds even weird having to say that, but I don't think we've always treated it that way. We're talking about people who are hurting, and if we make it an idea or a concept, it'll get weird. So as we figure out what to do next, Let's figure out how to care for all people well. And then hopefully, like Amy said, we can become a place that no matter where you are, no matter what you're going with, you're welcome here because we want to share life and all work towards building the kingdom of heaven together. So, Thanks, everybody. <laughs>